Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Thank you so much, team. Sandy Irwin, I just want to say how grateful I am that you returned to Keys for chapel service. Can we thank Sandy and... It had been a long time, and we're grateful for the gift of God on your life as well. And I just want to say to everyone that God loves you all the way from the top of your head to your hiney, if you just want to notice the sign up the back there. Um, So that's a blessing as well. Okay. um, So we're finishing off this morning 1 John. 1 John. So we're going to chapter 5. And literally, I'm just going to... um, take my allotted time. I'm going to start now and finish when it finishes. So I'm not going to go into background, historical context and all that because we've done that. And if you'd like to listen to that, you can go to our podcast of the chapel service and you'll hear all the background, all the historical context, all about the authorship. So we're going to leap straight in this morning to 1 John chapter 5. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father, hang on, I did the wrong emphasis on that one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Uh, That is not news to us. We've been in 1 John for five weeks. And we've realised that it's said over and over again that believing that Jesus is the Christ is pivotal and important. Not all roads lead to heaven. Um, Not all dogs go to heaven and not all roads lead to heaven. And uh, and so we we know that um, that actually there is this, this incredibly incredible, inclusive statement of the gospel that God so loved the world, okay, the world, not God so loved some people or even his chosen only, but God loved the world that whosoever would believe in him would believe in him. Now's not the time to forget the first verse you ever memorized, because I love those who believe in him, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Um, And and so... um, so you, believing that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Son of God, is most important. So you're born of God and whoever loves the Father, now we had a, an input kind of goal that you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ to be born of God. Now an output goal, whoever loves the Father loves his child as well, which has been a familiar theme in 1 John. We, if we love him, we've got to love each other. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. It's this kind of Russian doll situation where this fits inside of this, which fits inside of this, but which comes first, we're not really sure. It's this circular thing. You love God, you love his people, you carry out his commands, which means that you love God and love his people and carry out his commands. It's a circular scenario. Number three, this is love for God to obey his commands. And I love this part, and his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. Somebody just drop your shoulders and say, yeah, they're not burdensome. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So everything that Jesus puts on you shouldn't make you feel like a struggle under the weight. If you're struggling under the weight, maybe you're thinking more of man's commands or your concept of who God is and what he wants from you rather than who he actually is. It says here for everyone born of God overcomes the world. 
We know that from previous chapters as well. This is the victory that is over the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So again, it's that circular thing. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You love God. You carry out his commands. You love people. And we're going to keep going because this chapter is jam-packed and it's kind of a summary of everything. But this next passage is a little bit tricky Verse 6, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son." Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart, and anyone who does not believe that God does not believe God. Anyone who, what? And who does, okay, just feel glad this morning if you read the Bible sometimes and go, what? Sometimes a preacher does as well. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be, goodness gracious, anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a lie because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. What does all that mean? I'm just going to tell you right now. (laughs) Please do, please do. Okay, okay. Well, we know from previous weeks that there were these people that were teaching around, um, around around John at the time that Jesus was not born the son of God. That he was born a man and at some point the Spirit of God alighted on him but left again before death. Because surely if he's God, he couldn't live and die. And we looked at the importance of it, Jesus having to be fully God and fully man. He had to be fully God to suffer as we suffer and to sympathise with our weaknesses. So he had to be fully man in order for that to happen. But he had to be fully God to satisfy the penalty and to secure our salvation. Fully God, fully man. We had to realise that. We had to go, okay, that, that was clearly important and that's what John was refuting. People were saying, well, no, Jesus, was just like he just had some special wisdom or he was, yeah, he was divine, but only at certain points. And John's going, no, birth to death, Jesus was the Son of God. He came incarnate. He came to us. And so all this water and blood thing, I'm going to go a bit grosso on you now, okay? How is a child born? Waters break and out they come. And if you've ever been at a birth, there's a heck of a lot of blood. I'm sorry if you haven't had a child yet. I'm just telling you. I'm going to freak you out. Teenagers, you don't want to be pregnant right now. (laughs) There's a whole lot of water and there's a whole lot of blood. And Jesus came by water and blood. And then when Jesus was killed, what flowed out from God? Water and blood. And when Jesus was baptised, he was baptised in the water. And that's when the Spirit came and a voice came as well. So God testified that this was his Son and the Holy Spirit testified that this was the Son of God. And so in in a culture that was so heavily dependent on the mouth of two and three witnesses and in a people group where it was law that you had to have two and three witnesses, John's saying, we've got witnesses here. There's water and blood to testify that he actually came in the flesh. And there's actually a spiritual testimony as well to testify that he is the divine son of God as well. So that's what all that stuff means there. Verse 11, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in the son. He who has the son has life. He who has, who, he who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you that you may believe in the name of the son of God so may know you have eternal life. 
How good that we have eternal life. If you know the Son of God, if you've decided to go His way, if you've received Him as your Lord and Saviour, you know that you have eternal life. That, that's just, a, and this is a thing that we read earlier in 1 John, that, that if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. If, if something picks at us and says, I'm not sure you do have eternal life. I think eternal life has been snatched from you. No, you know you have eternal life. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you are following Him by loving other people, you know you have eternal life. You know, we're all, we've just been through a lot as a church with our beautiful friends, the Stasis. And, and what I love about one of the things that uh, we were sat with Ruth and Tony and, and Ruth said, you know what, the sting of death is gone. This hurts like hell, but the sting is gone. And the sting of death for us is gone. And I know that if you've been to a Christian's funeral where there's almost this sense of hope and celebration, even in the midst of everyone busted, that's because we've got eternal life. You know, someone said to me that, that they had a turning point at the funeral. When they saw Joe carrying out little Asher in the coffin, that that was a, that was a moment for them. That they said, the, the, it is unmistakable that God is real because no one do that in the manner that Josiah is doing that without faith and hope in eternal life and assurance of eternal life. And I say yes and amen to that. Okay, so verse 14. This is the confidence. So we're heading into five we knows right now. So we know this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Cool. When we ask, he hears us. Disclaimer, according to his will. God, as Mick Cook was praying recently when I heard him in huddle, I want a brand new lime green Lamborghini um, and expected God to hear him. Mick Cook, it's anything according to his will. Come on, man. Um, and we know that he hears us and we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Again, put the disclaimer in, anything according to his will. You can't just tack on in Jesus' name and expect that to be according to his will. In Jesus' name is anything glorifying him, anything that is um, in, in, um, in conjunction with the scripture. It's all that. Okay, verse 16 for the last four we knows in four minutes. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, we might leave the rest of the we knows and just deal with this. Okay, verse 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. Let's deal with that passage in a few minutes. <laughs> What does that even mean? That if I see Billy in Antarctica on FaceTime, which no one will know about because there is no FaceTime because there is no internet that everyone has to jump on the dial-up or whatever it is down there and everyone has limited internet. If Billy sins down there, I can pray for him and God will give him life. What? Like, how? Like, Broads messes up this week? He doesn't repent? What? What does this mean? Okay, we don't know. All right, <laughs> so that's good. Let's move on. No, <laughs> what is a sin that leads to death, and what is a sin that does not lead to death? You know what I know that that no one has arrived at this. No one's been able to firmly and finally say, "Well, this is clearly what this means." So hell no, I'm not about to. 
So neither should we. We should not be casting judgments on, well, I, I think that's the sin that leads to death. And I think that this is a sin that doesn't lead to death. Why would we, if all the scholars of the thousands of years since Scripture was written, have not been able to arrive on a position on this? A, 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 they've all got lots of positions on it, but not a, a common position on it. So if they haven't, Let's not either. Let's take what we can. Let's assume that at the time of writing that everybody knew what John was talking about. There was a sin that was leading to death that they knew about. So for us, what does it mean for us? That any time we see a brother, so firstly for us, we shouldn't sin. But if we do, as we've read in 1 John, there's someone pleading on our behalf immediately. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, there is one who stands in your defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So, okay, he, so don't sin. Please don't, but if you do, and you probably will, Jesus Christ is right there pleading on your behalf. But, so that's, that's for us. So this is talking about prayer. We had a general thought about prayer, that if you pray anything according to his will, that God will hear you and he will give you what you asked. Now, a specific thing about prayer, as it relates to a brother or sister who you know is not doing the right thing, what should be your response to that? John says, pray for them. John says, when you hear of a mega pastor who's fallen morally, that it's not to you to say, well, I saw him posing with Justin Bieber and I thought I saw this coming. It's not to even just immediately start to think of the ways in which that could have happened and how atrocious that is or to be down on the church or, or whatever the culture that's led to that. Our first response is to pray for them. If I see someone who is in sin, my first response is prayer. And, uh, and, and, so that, and, and I don't know which is the sin that leads to death and which is the sin that doesn't. So John's telling me, you see someone, you pray. You don't bring it to the church leadership. That's not your first thing. You might need to eventually, maybe, who knows, but your first thing is to pray. And what I tell you that John's protecting us against here is any kind of self-righteousness because he's already laid to us that anyone who says that they don't sin is a liar and the truth is not in them. So he's guarding against self-righteousness in our life and he's ensuring that we're continuing to love our brother and sister as is outlined in the rest of the passage. So do I know exactly what this passage means? I don't. I think that, that you could find some scholars, you could do some reading. I've done a lot of reading. I didn't arrive at a firm conclusion. So I'm not going to give you a firm conclusion this morning. What I did arrive at was knowing that my first response when I see someone who's not living right should be to pray for them. So we commit to that. Can we commit to rewiring our brains to not judge them, to not measure myself against them and compare, but the first thing that I do is to pray for them. Who's in? Great. Okay. One minute. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Okay. So that's us. We're born of God. We've got a new last name. Remember your last name when you go out, people. And remember who you're representing. And don't sin. But if you do, there's one who stands in your defense. Okay. Good. Um, the one who is born of God and keep the one who, who is born of keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God. New last name. And that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, I don't want to think about that for some of my loved ones who don't know Jesus. But the whole world is under the control of the evil one and, and, and you see that at work. You see the trajectory of our media. You see the trajectory of abhorrent things and, and then you hear about, you think that things are really, really bad and then you hear the deep web and then you think that things are really, really, really bad and then you hear about the dark web. And then you just are like, I, I can't even let that, for me, I can't even let that penetrate a layer, top layer of my brain because if that gets into my heart I won't sleep for days I know that's the truth so okay this is true we also know that the son of God has come 
and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is true God and eternal life. John the Evangelist, Mike drop out and then he remembers that if he got to write something, says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols and that's it. Amen. Fun John. Oh, so what we do now in our chapel service is um, we have a time of reflection and, and as always there's three options here is that um, you, like you just look around you, you'll see some chairs in clusters, you just kind of turn to each other and uh, we look at what occurred to you from this patch light bulb, what is the question that it prompted in you and what's one thing you can do from this passage moving forward, three options, talk at the table, talk, grab in a little you know maybe pairs or triplets or fives or whatever and talk to each other about it, second option maybe just do it yourself. Just you and God. Um, look on your phone, take some notes, whatever it is. Three, pretend that you're doing that and just scroll through your phone and do whatever you want. If you want to bring your attention back to the room and uh, we are about to go into our application section, our topical section of this passage. And um, we are very privileged to have the amazing Nikki Dent Byron Bay, surfer girl, mother of three, husband to Paul Dent, um, who is a bit of a champion. We knew he was, but then he went on a road trip, jazz, last week, and now they're best friends. And um, I've been, Daz found this necklace for them both that he has <laughs> given sending to him. Sorry. Okay, um, but what I love about Nikki is that she completely, she, there's, there's just nothing. Nothing um, that is, like, I reckon one day we'll all say, do you remember when Nikki Dent came to Tamworth? Like, I'm not into celebrity preachers, but I reckon that one day that's what we'll say about Nikki Dent. But Nikki Dent, last yesterday, with Lozzie Kugel, were the last people packing up as well after conference. And so that shows her heart, that shows who she is. So can we give her a huge welcome to this morning? I love you. Ah, she just smacked me on the butt. Um... Thank you so, 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 so much for having me. Um, I feel so humbled and so privileged to be with this church. This church is so precious. You two are so precious. And um, there was something... Oh, I'm pretty you just called me Paul Dent's husband. Yeah. Did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually his wife. Um, <laughs> yeah, testify. Um, also, I'd just like to add as well on a serious note, the Heine joke was mine. Like, I noticed the sign and, I, yeah, so she completely robbed me of that. Um, <laughs> kidding. We all know Bron's the hilarious one. It's actually a spiritual gift, her hilarity. So you, you are blessed to enjoy it. Um, anyway, so do we have any shine girls in here this morning? Yeah. Oh my goodness, how amazing was it? So my, it's my, that was my first year at Shine over the weekend, and um, but I've been wanting to come like since I met you, and you know, but it, it was just, it's just a tiny bit of a drive um, <laughs> from Byron Bay. It's about seven or eight hours. So I'm was so um, blessed to actually be able to finally experience it. And I was like, should I buy a ticket because I just wanted to come anyway. I just happened to be preaching, but I would have come anyway. So. Um, um, yeah, we had a great time and, and really, I don't know if it's like this every year, but there was an anointing, wasn't there, Renee? There's actually an anointing in the house and it was just, I don't know what the other people behind the front row were doing, but it felt like all of us on the front row were just weeping constantly. And I'm like, I don't, 
I don't weep all the time. Just so you know, I don't weep all the time. I just did this whole weekend. So anyway, anyway, it was incredible. And so you really, I just feel like before we get started, I should really, really um, honour Bronnie because like, I just feel like literally only Bronnie Bunnell can, can run a conference in a pandemic and actually succeed. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else has the faith for that, but it was incredible. So can we just honour her? <laughs> Particularly because, you know, and like that for me, I would think that's a logistical nightmare. No, thank you. Just going to cancel that and do it next year. But such is her passion for, for women and encouraging people. And I reckon that is such a testament to your character and your faith. So you're awesome. You're the best. Amazing. Okay. Anyway, so uh, how many weeks have you been doing First John? First John. This is week number six. All right. So at this point, I really feel like you should be teaching me about First John. <laughs> this is this is a humbling experience for me. So it is a it is a humbling privilege to be able to uh, finish off your series for you. Really. So Brian was like, you know, fifteen minutes of exegetical or topical um, on on this particular passage, and you can round out the entire book if you want to. <laughs> and I was like, great. All right. I'm just going to stick to verse sixteen, and we're going to talk about uh, praying for the sin that leads to death for the next fifty minutes. Is that okay? <laughs> It's literally probably in the whole New Testament, the most difficult passage to exegete. You did brilliantly. And um, besides baptism of the dead in, in Corinthians. And so do you want to do that one instead? Baptism. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, if I could give a synopsis of all the commentaries of that one scripture, it's just like, we don't know. We don't know. That's it. We don't really know. So you, you did good, girl. <laughs> and I'm not going to do that this morning. I was like, I'll take topical. Thank you very much. <laughs> Leave the exegesis up to, uh, to Bronnie. But here we go. We've got uh, a few minutes of glory together, and we're not on Byron time. So I'm going to jump right into it, okay? First uh, John, uh, chapter 5, uh, my key passage for us this morning is verse 30. All right, and it says this. Uh, well, you've already read it, Bron, but we'll do it again. Uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. Everybody say no. Know that you have eternal life. I'm actually really chuffed that this verse was, was within the passage that I was given. Because if, if I could... If I could choose one verse um, out of the passage, out of the book, uh, that would summarize the entire message that John is trying to get across to the church with this book, it's this verse, so you may know. So you may know. This, this book really does um, summarize the book. And uh, so strong is his tone actually in this particular verse that a lot, uh, a lot of commentators uh, believe that it was the end of the book and the rest is just an addendum. That's not actually my position, but my point of telling you that is that it, his tone is so strong. This verse is going to act a exclamation mark on everything he's just said. He's like, so you may know. This is, you know, there's a bit of oomph behind it, okay? And so I know that you... Um, already know the backdrop uh, to this book and the cultural backdrop and uh, all of that, but, you know, repetition doesn't entertain, but it sure does teach, so I'm going to tell you again. All right, so, the, we, you know, Bron mentioned that the backdrop is that, you know, false teaching, false knowledge is being spread, that Jesus wasn't really incarnate. You know, that's sort of the vibe that's going on in the early church. Jesus wasn't uh, really incarnate. And John is pretty much in this letter. He's like, no, 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 no. Jesus came in the flesh. The Word became flesh, okay? Jesus didn't shout, I love you, from heaven. He 
came right up close, face to face, and He showed us what love looks like. He demonstrated love to us, all right? There wasn't any distance involved here. So He he came not just as Creator, but as Kinsman Redeemer. And guess what? If you come as Kinsman Redeemer, you have to be kin. So He was just as human as He was God every step of the way. So John is adamant that you know Him as an incarnate God. This is really important for us to believe. And so what he's going to do through the whole letter, he's going to play on the word no. He's going to keep using the word no, which in the Greek is gnosis. So we actually get the word gnostic or not. not oh gosh, I need more coffee to pronounce that properly. Sorry. Um, which, which of course is, oh, the definition of that is when, when people come and they say, I've got specialised knowledge and I'm the only one who has this kind of understanding and you need to jump through a million hoops to, to sort of, you know, pretty much like what a lot of cults do, you know, like come to Byron, you'll find out. But okay, but this is, this, is, this is the opposite of what John wants to say because guess what? John, John is like, no, 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 everybody will know. Everybody can know. This is not, as Bron preached, for a special few. This is for all. The gospel is for all. Can anyone say amen to that this morning? And so the Greeks loved knowledge. You probably know that by now. They loved it. They loved gnosis. This was their thing. They're like, yes. All right. So, so Greek language is highly uh, scientific. It's highly intellectual. All right. They loved philosophy. Like if you sounded smart and you sounded like you knew what you were talking about, they were just impressed even if they didn't understand what you were saying. They would have considered a disposition super impressive even if like, they didn't know what you were talking about. They were like, it sounds smart. I believe it. It's good. So this was their culture. And uh, so, you know, John. that's why John's using the word gnosis on purpose. But here is the deal. And here is what I, you know, I really want to say this morning is that he's not actually talking about their version of knowledge. He's talking about intellectual, um, philosophical uh, knowledge. He's actually talking about a different kind of knowledge in this book. He's not talking about comprehending Christ. He's talking about apprehending Christ, right? And the best idea I can give you this morning um, of the type of knowing John is actually talking about here, we've got to creep back into the Old Testament for a second because because it's knowing in the Hebrew that's going to show us what he's talking. So um, Isaiah is pretty much saying the same thing as John in Isaiah 43 verse 10. It might come up behind me there. as I'm pretty sure John and Isaiah are high-fiving in heaven over this. I'm, pr- I'm quite sure. Okay, and so Isaiah says this, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen, so that you may know. Everybody say no. This is what I do with kids' church. Are you liking it? All right. Everybody say no. All right. And believe and understand that I am he. So the Hebrew word for know is yadha. All right. And, and it gives us a much better picture of the kind of knowing John is talking about. It's not the kind of knowing. Um, it's not about intellect. It's about intimacy. It's not, I know you. It's like, I know who you are. Right? Best reflected between a husband and wife. That kind of knowing. That's why uh, God is referred to as um, Israel's husband throughout the Testament. You know, one of your chief purposes in life, my friends, is to know God intimately and with reverent familiarity. This is part of your calling. So intellectually, you know, Bron can know stuff about Daz. She can know stuff about him. She can, she can make a list of his hobbies. She can record what hospital he was born in, check his dental records, 
be creepy, but she could do it. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? She could figure out if he's gluten-free and if you're in Byron, that would be assumed. Gluten-free, dairy-free, happiness-free, all of that stuff. Okay, so, you know, she could do this, all right? She could take notes when he preaches from the pulpit, but that doesn't actually mean Bron knows Daz. She knows stuff about him. That doesn't mean she knows him uh, or actually knows who he is. If she wants to know who he is, uh, which I'm pretty sure they got a healthy marriage, yes, this is correct, would know. She actually needs to walk with him and live with him. Proximity is actually required, okay? She needs to look him in the eyes and, and hear his kind words, of which there are many all the time. Like, it's just really fun being friends with you, Daz. I'm such an encourager. But she needs to hear his kind words in her moments of vulnerability or frailty, right? Of, and there's probably very little of those, but you know. <laughs> but it requires proximity and it requires working with someone. And this is the kind of intimacy that Christ wants with us. And this is the kind of knowledge John is talking about. This is what he wants for the church and why he scribes this letter. Is that okay? You know, it's really never, it's never been easier Um, to grow in intellectual knowledge uh, of Christ. I believe in any generation, it has never been easier. We have access to the greatest Bible teachers in the entire world. You get on YouTube, you can just YouTube T.D. Jakes, Furtick, Bronnie Bunnell, Julia Bell. Like You can YouTube them all. You can have access and grow in knowledge. You can can get on Insta and and, and have a five-minute reel of Stephen Furtick. Right? It's never been easier, okay? But this, my, my, my prayer for this generation is that we wouldn't bypass truly knowing him altogether because we don't pause long enough to let the word of God touch our lives. We can't just talk about him or observe him from afar. We have to walk with him, church. We have to have proximity, Right? Jesus Christ did not become flesh and go to the cross and annihilate every inch of distance that Elsin created so you could know him through a screen. Okay? All right? And this is like, you know, a bit of a paraphrase, but I feel like this is John's vibe, okay, in this book. And so between the intellectual knowledge and experiential knowledge, there's actually a wrestle. There's actually a wrestle. You might remember Jacob from uh, Genesis uh, 32, who I can guarantee is also high-fiving and shaking hands and hollering like, testify, okay, to John in heaven right now as well. Because you might remember in Genesis 32 that Jacob wrestled with God. He wrestled with the pre-incarnate Christ, all right? We believe uh, what the person he was wrestling with, do you guys know that story? because we don't have time to read it. So just believe me, it's in the Bible, I promise, okay? But he wrestles with God. He wrestles with a man until daybreak. And we believe it was a Christophany, which is, which is basically a manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. Jacob too, just like John, felt the skin of God. He felt the skin of the pre-incarnate Christ. And their hands touched and the resistance and the struggle and the wrestle and the back and forth, the face-to-face, right up close combat, one-on-one combat. Sometimes we have to wrestle with God to truly know him, don't we, friends? Right, right. Why did God permit the wrestle? God could have totally obliterated him on the spot, obviously. But why does God permit the wrestle? A lot of ink has been spilled over this and... I'm just a whippersnapper from Byron Bay, so I don't actually have, you know, I don't proclaim to know all the answers, but here's what I do. 
is that on the other side of that wrestle, Jacob was not the same man. Come on, that up-close engagement, that hand-on-hand, face-to-face pushing and pulling. Jacob was transformed after the wrestle. You remember that God changed his name. Remember, he walks away, not as Jacob, not as Jacob, which means supplanter, deceiver, trickster, uh, manipulator. No, 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 his name changed to Israel. The people who would bear the name of Yahweh, he, he changed. Names are incredibly important in Hebrew culture. It was a prophetic declaration over who they were and who, were they going to, who they were going to be. He got a new identity after he wrestled with the Christ. So the most important part of this story, though, in Genesis 32, and I'm sort of tying it with um, the book of John, if I can do that, um, is that he walked differently after the encounter. Do you remember what happened? God touches his hip, and he limps away. He walks differently. And, and if we come face to face with the word of God, we should walk differently on the other side of that wrestle. He limps away with a new name as a new person, and it is the paradox of being wounded and blessed at the same time. Come on, somebody. When we wrestle with God, when we pursue truly knowing him, we are often wounded with a blessing. And it is the best kind of blessing when we engage with him and we pursue truly knowing him experientially, not intellectually, not that we bypass intellect, but what goes in here should end up here and change out here, right? Is that okay this morning? The word of God, wrestling with the word of God should change our conduct. It should change our behavior. It should change the way we make decisions. It should change our countenance. Jesus should show up on our face because he's in here. The word of God has grown down right? This is what should happen. You know, I have been blessed with a wound. I've wrestled with God. I just can't, I just testify to you this morning. I've wrestled with him. This year I've wrestled with God. I have wrestled my ego and my pride and my, my disobedience my stubbornness. Lauren can testify to my stubbornness as a person. She calls me stubsy. Um, <laughs> yeah you're not disagreeing are you (laughs) I wrestled I wrestled and I really wrestled this year and um he has left me with a limp and it is the best kind of limp because it's the limp of humility and it's the limp of surrender and it's the limp of not your will but my will and it's the, only, it's the limp that leads to true worship in spirit and in truth for me. Anyway, and I wanted to testify to you this morning before I finish. The limp is good. I want to limp forever. <laughs> I want to limp all the way to heaven. <laughs> is that okay? Yes. The word of God changes us. And, you know, why did it even matter that the church believed in the incarnation? I really set myself up with that one, didn't I? Have you got, have you got another hour? <laughs> probably a few books on that one. Why did it even matter? Why did it even matter? Um, If I could summarize it, or I could put it very simply, uh, if the Word of God didn't become flesh, the Word of God can't change your flesh. The Word of God had to become flesh. This is why he came, God with us, to change our flesh, right? And so I want to close the series, if I may, with the opening of the whole letter. In 1 John 1 verse 1, you got, you, you, 
You've got to understand how brilliantly this is actually written. That which was from the beginning. Does it remind you of another scripture? Something else John wrote in the opening of his gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, right? That which was from the beginning, which you have heard, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, all right? He didn't stay in heaven. He appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Us. He has appeared to us. You cannot testify unless he has appeared to you. You cannot testify unless you have tasted and seen that the Lord has good is good. To really know God, John is saying, is to touch him and, and to see him and to walk with him and to live with him daily. You want to talk knowledge, John says? You want to talk gnosis, Greek people? I know him. And the degree to which I know him has nothing to do with my credentials or, or what Bible college I went to or what church I go to or how much my Bible is highlighted, okay? Not speaking from personal experience. (laughs) I have seen the scars, John says, and I have touched the resurrected skin of the Word of God. The Word was incarnated into flesh. And I know, says John, because I leant against the chest of the Word and heard His heartbeat at the Last Supper. I know Him. Do you know Him this morning? Do you know Him? And friends, you know, I've finished here, but I just wanted to say we can grow in intellectual knowledge on Sunday. You are blessed for incredible Bible teachers as your senior senior pastors. You are blessed. It's not normal. Like what you have in this church is not normal. Please don't take it for granted. But unless you wrestle, unless we wrestle with the living word on our Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. Our head might grow, but our heart will shrink. And what inevitably happens is we will be conformed into the image of the Pharisees instead of the image of the sun. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You know, I'm just a reformed Pharisee. That's all I'm saying. Like, I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. John is really saying in this letter, Jesus was incarnate. And if you want to truly know him, he must become incarnate in you. Amen. The word became flesh and now it's going to become flesh in you. Right? You've got to know God in a way that changes you, not in a way that makes you feel smart. <laughs> And you know what? We don't drift into this kind of knowledge. We drift out of that kind of knowledge. But to attain this kind of knowledge, you don't drift. You don't float. You wrestle into it. You wrestle into it. So would we be a people this morning who are willing to wrestle with the Christ and wrestle with the word? Amen. 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 Can I pray for you? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your son. We thank you so much that the Bible came not just in written form, but in human form, just the word in all his glory. And we just pray, I just prophesy such a blessing over this church that this this church is a people who wrestles. These, they are not content to sleep through the night, but to wrestle till daybreak. And I prophesy in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the senior pastors of this church who are incredible expounders of your word and not content to just teach and preach, but to live it. And um, may we follow in their footsteps. And Jesus' name and everybody said.
Amen. Thank you so much. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.